How was everybody? Right, it was all right, you know. Um, so, I got, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got this head cold thing going on. So uh, I was telling the other services, I have my my little uh, tissue up here, so it doesn't become like an interactive lesson for those of you on the first couple of rows. You, hey, those of you who are old enough, you guys remember Gallagher, the guy who would like smash the watermelons and it would go all over the crowd. I don't know why my mucus made me think of that, but um, I shouldn't have said that. That was gross. Uh, so <laughs> I said something similar to that at the seven last night, and I remember laying there in bed last night, and I'm like, I shouldn't say that tomorrow, and then it just came out again, and, uh, and there it was. So, uh, okay, we are in the book of Revelation. Let's get to the Bible, right? Uh, we've been in the book of Revelation for some time, and if you're new to this church, this is what we do. Uh, we do whole books of the Bible. It's called expository teaching. We go line by line, verse by verse, and just do our best to break it down. A lot of people are scared of the book of Revelation. And um, I hope if you've been coming that you've become, at the very least, less scared of this book. I don't think it's as intimidating as we build it up to be sometimes. I was actually, I was in Starbucks earlier this week and a young lady came up to me and she goes, hey, I've really been enjoying Revelation. She goes, my whole life I've been afraid, afraid of that book. And she was just telling me she's been shocked at how much she's been able to understand and how much applies to her life. And I said, I know, it's, it's, it's really an, an awesome book, a fun book, a very applicable book, a very deep spiritual book. It's, it's great. And we don't need to be intimidated by it. It takes a little bit more work, a little bit more study, um, but that's okay. That's fine. It's good to put a little bit of extra effort into, into reading the Bible sometimes. So it's, I hope it's been good for you so far. If you have not been here, let me, let me do my best to kind of catch you up. Chapters 6 through 11 of Revelation tell about a seven-year span of time called the Great Tribulation. And we kind of see John, the author, tell about this from kind of a, a God's eye view, if you will, heavenly view looking down. Now, in chapters 12 through 18, we talk about the same seven-year span, but from kind of a, a more up-close perspective, an, an earthly perspective. But it's told in a very interesting way. John, the author, sees kind of a play unfold in front of him. These different characters, kind of this epic drama of good and evil. Starts off in chapter 12. In chapter 13, we kind of see the plan of the enemy, the dragon, the devil, that he's going to use a beast of the sea, a, a, an evil political leader as an antichrist, and that he's going to use a beast from the earth, which is going to be a, a corrupt religious leader, and that's going to form this unholy trinity, and he's going to attack the people of God and persecute the people of God. We see in chapter 14 that there's going to be two harvests. And this is where Revelation starts to get dark, if you've been with us. The first harvest is when the good people, God-fearing people, leave this earth, whether by martyrdom, which means we've been killed, or we leave by what's called a post-tribulation rapture. We're brought up after the, 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 the tribulation has started. We see in chapters 15 and 16 that the second harvest that is mentioned in chapter 14 where God's wrath is going to be poured out on evil starts to take place in chapter 15 and 16. Now, these are extremely heavy chapters, not happy ending kind of chapters. The wrath of God and these awful things that take place in chapters 15 and 16. Now, in chapter 17, this angel is going to take John and basically zoom in on what is happening with God's bowls of wrath that are being poured out. And he's going to explain why these things are taking place. 
Now, again, we see a lot of symbolism in chapter 17, but chapter 17 explains itself. I'll help you a little bit along the way, but if you read it carefully, it explains itself pretty well. But the symbolism that's used in chapter 17 is about a city, and the city is called the notorious prostitute. Some translations call it the great whore. So we're going to talk about this prostitute, and we're going to talk about the scarlet beast that this prostitute rides on. Now, let me pause here for a second, and, and I'm, just, I'm not saying this to be offensive, and, and this is totally up to you. You're the parent. I often tell this church that we cover very adult material in here because sometimes the Bible is very adult. That's why we have Echo for our children. That's why we have Eon for our middle school kids. I'm going to say the word whore a lot today because it's biblical. I'm going to say the word prostitute a lot. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. Now, before you send me an email saying, my kids have never heard those words, that's because a five-year-old probably shouldn't be reading the book of Revelation yet. So well, I'm going to be reading straight out of the Bible, and the Bible says these words. So it's not because I want to offend you or, or teach your kids something that you want to teach them later on in life, but that's why we have these other programs for them to go to. If you want your kids in here, you're the parent, you're the boss, but I'm not going to, to dumb it down for the adults in this room to make sure that you don't have to have that conversation with your kids about sex. So I just want to throw that out there. So don't get mad at me. I'm just going to read it straight from chapter 17, and we'll break it down to the best of our abilities, okay? All right. So you should have got a notes hand out when you walked in. Everything I'm going to say is going to be on the screens, including all those colorful words that I just mentioned. Those will be on the screens. Uh, if you have the Experience Community app, if you click on the bottom button, service times, and then click on sermon notes, you get the scripture and you get all the notes. Very, very handy, okay? And then if you have your Bible, we're in the very last book of the Bible, short chapter, uh, chapter 17. So we'll go through it relatively quick, okay? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to show you something interesting at the end of this. At least I hope you find it interesting. I'll show it to you and, and uh, see if it kind of uh, is a little applicable to our lives, okay? All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I pray that you keep your hand on this church today. God, open up our ears, open up our eyes. Lord, let us understand you better. Lord, let us grow closer to you. Lord God, let us not only hear your word today, but Lord, let us absorb it. Let us do it, God. We pray, Father, that you bless not only this church, but every church in our city, every church in our county, God, all the churches that we work with, God, that you grow these churches, that you expand your kingdom in, in Middle Tennessee and beyond. Father, we pray for the great nonprofits that we work with. God, this, this month, Renewed Life Ministries, a wonderful addiction recovery program. God, bless Derek and his team and everything they do, God, and I pray that you just give them a wonderful year this year where they can change many men's lives, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, and we just want to pray, God, for an extra special blessing on Tom Brady's arm, God, that you just bless that tonight. <laughs> Guide him, Lord. And Lord, forgive all the, all the awful hearts in this room right now, Lord, that we love you, God, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. I was, told, I was told after the nine that the only time I've got an angry face on our live feed was when I prayed for Tom Brady. And I'm like, we should pray for all people, right? Including the greatest quarterbacks of all time. We should pray for all people. Okay, all right. Let's, let's go. <laughs> I've lost all of you. You're all gone now, so. All right, John in chapter 17. Here we go. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. He said, come, 
I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. Okay, so chapters 17 today and 18 next week are going to greater explain chapters 15 and 16. It's not a flashback, but it's kind of like a flashback. 15 and 16 tells about the bowls of wrath. This angel, who's kind of John's tour guide at this part, is basically saying, come here, let me, let me zoom in on, on this for you and let me show you why these things are happening. So he's explaining in greater detail why these things are taking place. Now, chapter 17 is about a city. It's about a culture. And the city is called Babylon the Great. Now, this city is personified as a notorious prostitute. Some of your translations may say a great whore, a prostitute. Now, when we get to chapter 21 of Revelation, we're gonna talk about another city that is the exact opposite. It is personified as a pure bride. So you have good and evil, if you will. So the imagery, though, of this prostitute helps us understand what the culture is going to look like when Jesus comes back what this last evil empire is going to look like and what the world looks like it is going to be like a notorious prostitute. It's gonna be the zenith of sexual immorality and arrogance combined with religious corruption and political corruption. It's gonna be the worst that humanity has ever been. And it says this city or this culture is seated on many waters now, the many waters means all people of the earth at this time. Because if you weren't here last week, by this point in the story, there's no good people left. We've either been called out by God or we've been murdered off by evil people. There's no good people left. So it's not just the rich and the powerful and the beautiful that have fallen for this, this notorious prostitute. All people on this earth love this culture. They love this city. Now, this means that there is literal sensuality, which means we're going to become even more hypersexualized, and there's also going to be spiritual immorality, spiritual adultery, which means not only will we be doing sexually moral things physically, we will be cheating on our husband, God, with all kinds of other gods, mostly this God, the God that we make ourselves. So what does that mean? I hate to break it to you guys. It's going to get much worse before it gets any better. Human society, culture, is going to become more perverse. It's going to become more idolatrous. We talked about these things in the last couple of services, how they just passed this law in New York about partial birth abortion. That's grotesque. It's a terrible thing. But guys, that's not the worst that humanity has ever done. In the times of Jesus, there were women that would give birth to children, pick them up by their legs, and crack their skulls on rocks for the god Marduk. Now we don't kill kids for that God, Marduk. We kill, God, kill kids for our convenience, our God, ourselves. And so humanity is going to get worse and worse, more perverse, more destructive, more violent, more idolatrous. And this last great city, Babylon the Great, we've mentioned it several times, but if you have not been here, this culture, this city that is going to rise up eventually before Christ comes back, this is going to be the center of, of all people on earth, the center of technology, 
the center of spirituality. Of course, not Christian spirituality, but spiritualism. It's going to be kind of the, the mecca, the epicenter of sexual exploration and pleasure, of culture, of economics. And as we get into chapter 18 next week, which is a very depressing chapter, we're going to see what happens when people who pursue things that are going to go away, they are temporal, they are fleeting. We're going to see how devastated the world is when this culture, when this city crumbles, okay? John says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, John said, I was greatly astonished. Now in chapter 12, we talked about a woman in the wilderness. It was a different woman. That woman more than likely represents the church, us. This obviously different woman is not protected by God. This woman is protected by a beast, a scarlet beast, blood red. So in chapter 13, we see that Satan lifts up the Antichrist. But in chapter 17, we see the true colors of the Antichrist, red as, red as blood, a deep scarlet red. It's the color. And it says that this beast is covered with blasphemous names. Now, this isn't just an opposition to God. This is a representation that ever since civilization has existed, ever since the beginning of man creating cities and empires, they have always been blasphemous. The pharaohs of Egypt said they were gods. The leaders of the Assyrians and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans and the Babylonians, they have all claimed to be God on earth. Blasphemy. And so it represents that every great civilization that has ever existed, every great empire, global empire, has been blasphemous towards God. And so this prostitute represents an evil culture, an evil people, an evil city. And she is riding or sitting on this beast. And that represents evil's means of taking, taking this evil society, this evil culture through civilizations throughout human history. Like I said, throughout all human civilizations that have been global, there's always been evil. And this prostitute is adorned with jewelry. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with jewelry. There are some denominations that will say that, that jewelry is sinful. That's not what that means. What it's saying is that the city, this culture, is going to be decadent just like the Roman prostitutes were decadent. They would draw people in with their gold and their jewelry and their elaborate hairstyles, and then they would do detestable things. It also says that this prostitute is holding a golden cup. Now, this is fascinating. The golden cup exposes the true nature of sin and evil. On the outside, sin and evil looks attractive, right? It looks tantalizing. It looks like something you want to get into. It looks like something you want to be a part of. But when you look inside the cup, the thing that looks attractive, it's detestable. It's disgusting. It's something awful. And this is what Satan does. This is the bait and switch. 
This has been his game from the very beginning. The things of this world look enticing. Let's talk about sex, right? Have sex as often as you can with as many people as you can. You don't need to be married. You don't need to, there are no boundaries. Do whatever you want. And that looks great from the outside until you contract HIV, until you have an unwanted pregnancy, until you see the side effects of things like pornography and the degradation of women and things like that. And we start to see that it's not beautiful at all. It's actually quite disgusting. It's a bad thing. So the detestable things of this world appear attractive at first, but when you get into it, it's destruction. It's calamity. It's detestable. It's awful. It's disgusting. And so this prostitute had a title on her forehead. There's actually three titles, but it says that it's one big, long title. And it's a mystery. The first one says Babylon the Great. This leads us to believe that this is more than likely a city, a culture, and it will be a global culture. Just like Rome, there was one city in Rome, Italy, but it set the culture of the entire world. It also says that the city will be the mother of prostitutes, which means this will be the epicenter of the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of us, the pursuit of things that make us feel good. Idol worship, but the idol is not like a little trinket like you get at World Market. The idol is ourselves. It's something that we worship, us. It also says that it will be the mother of all vile things. That the culture that this city creates is gonna be an immoral culture. Again, I'm not trying to like just beat up on people from New York, but you have a precedent that is being set by arguably the most influential city on planet Earth. That it is okay to kill children right before they're born. And so a, a culture is set. And it's said that this prostitute was drunk on the blood of the saints. It had shed the blood of good people and become intoxicated on it. But what we see here is this. This once attractive whore has now become a staggering drunk. Those of you who were ever in the party scene, my wife and I used to party a lot before we were Christians, and you'd go to clubs or you'd go to parties, and there'd be this beautiful young woman, and then she would get drunk, and she kind of became repulsive at that point. It's not attractive anymore, right? vomiting, falling all over herself, looking stupid. And so just like sin, what begins as something gorgeous ends in something that is repulsive. It's disgusting. It's become a staggering drunk and no one wants to be around it. So here's the thing about Revelation though. Some people believe Revelation is just about accounts that have happened in the past. Some people believe it is all just about the future. Now, it does have elements of the past. It has a lot of elements about the future. But Revelation is pertinent to every generation that reads it because every generation that reads it has its version of a Babylon. We all have an evil culture, an evil civilization. And the point is, is that believers in Jesus Christ, we are to stand up against that perverse culture. We're to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with that perverse city or that dominating ideal. Now, we don't do that by picketing. We don't do that by calling people baby killers or awful or murderers. We don't do that by hating people. We actually do it by the opposite. We do that by loving them. We do that by serving them. We do that by educating people on who Jesus is. Here's the mistake that Christians make. We judge people. We expect people to live like Jesus when they don't know anything about Jesus. I can't expect you to act like Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is. That's why Jesus said, go out and make disciples of people. Tell them about me. 
that we're not to be afraid of the darkness, but we are to be so full of the light that we can go into the darkness, educate others on what the light is. That's what we're called to do. I can't judge you on your relationship with Jesus if you'd never met Jesus. It is my opportunity, and quite frankly, an obligation of mine as a follower of Jesus to tell you about him, to share the truth with you, okay? Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. This is important. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain only for a little while. The beast that, that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and it is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, that's Jesus, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So John is looking at this prostitute on the back of this beast, and it says he's astonished. And his astonishment makes John anxious. He's getting nervous. This angel sees his anxiety and walks over and says, John, don't, don't be astonished. Don't be anxious. I'm going to explain to you what's going on. Now, this angel calls the beast something interesting, calls it something that was, is, and will come. And so that sounds very, very familiar to what we call God, the God that was, that is, and is to come. But it's jumbled around. The titles are kind of shuffled. We see again that Satan is always trying to mimic God, always trying to be like God, but can't be like God, always falls short of God, and we see it again here. The angel also says that the Antichrist is from the abyss. Now, we've kind of changed the meaning of the word abyss in our modern culture, but in the first century, the word abyss meant home of demons. That leads some people to believe that the Antichrist is not just a demon-possessed man. Some people believe it is literally a demon, a demon incarnate. And whether it's a demon incarnate or a demon-possessed man, those that do not have God's spirit in them will not have the discernment to know if that is an Antichrist or not. And they will fall in love with this person. That's why I constantly tell you guys, don't idolize politicians, don't idolize spiritual leaders. Because if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, we will not have the wisdom and discernment to know that this is not our salvation. A politician is not our salvation. Only God is. But if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, we will not realize that. We will not be able to discern that. 
John goes on to say, or the angel says through John, that this calls for a mind that has wisdom. We've seen this before when it was talking about the mark of the beast. That as Christians, we need to pray that God gives us the wisdom to discern our culture. If you're in this room and you believe in the Holy Spirit, which I hope if you're a Christian you do, it's one-third of the Trinity, if you believe in the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, the only one that I know of, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the only one that I know of that says you will always receive it if you ask for it is the gift of wisdom, which means that God wants every single one of you in this room to pray for the gift of wisdom. We need the gift of wisdom. If we don't have the gift of wisdom, if we don't have the gift of discernment, we're not going to know what is biblical and what is cultural. So what the church has done is we have allowed cultural ideas to permeate the church, and we're not teaching biblical things, we're teaching cultural things. We don't have the discernment, we don't have the wisdom to know this is wrong and this is right. Now again, the Bible tells us what is wrong or right, but we need God's wisdom. We feel it in our chest. God speaks to us and says, this is something we shouldn't be a part of. So it says that this beast has seven heads, and it tells us what these heads are. They are mountains and they are kings. What that is referring to, and I counted it for you, the angel says five of them have passed, one is in power, and one has not yet taken place yet. What does that mean? Daniel, the book of Daniel, tells us exactly what it means. When human civilization started, the Bible says multiple times, there will be seven global empires that will come and go, and then after the seventh one falls, Jesus will come back. Now listen, guys. We've already been through the Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks. During John's time, it was the Romans. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about Roman history. The Roman Empire fell down about 1,600 years ago. We're about due for another global empire, aren't we? We are between the sixth and the seventh. There's only one more global empire that's going to take place before Jesus Christ comes back. Guys, we're at the end of human civilization, not at the beginning of it. Whenever people say he's coming soon, it may be centuries from now. We don't know, but it is soon compared to the whole scheme of, of, of human history. And it says when this seventh empire comes, there will be an eighth king. Now, what does that mean? More than likely, that's referring to back in chapter 13. It says the Antichrist is fatally wounded and then comes back from the dead. So he was made king, number seven. He dies, comes back to life, and is made king again, eight. And so that's probably what that is referring to. It also says that there will be 10 kings that have not come into power yet. So those of you who are always trying to like crack the code in Revelation, who is it? These kings are not in power yet. So we don't know who this is yet. And it says that when they do come into power, it'll be right towards the end of the seven years of the Great Tribulation, probably the last half of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And these 10 kings, they will support the Antichrist. They will give all their power and armies to the Antichrist, and they will fight against Christians, and they will eventually fight against God himself, okay? Last part. The angel also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, 
They will devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. So back to the beginning, it says that this prostitute was seated on many waters. The angel talked a lot about the beast. Now he's gonna talk a little bit more about the prostitute that is on this beast. The waters represent all people who are not saved. They have not given their life to God. And it's interesting, it says the kings, the 10 kings that are gonna come into power and the antichrist will hate the prostitute. What in the heck does that mean? I thought they were on the same team, right? What it shows us is evil will always turn on evil. That bad people will always stab each other in the back. It will self-destruct. People will eat themselves alive. They will turn on each other. If God is not in the picture. Do you guys remember when Katrina happened? They put 10 or 15,000 people in whatever the Saints Stadium is called. Packed all these people in there. There was no law, no order. They said there were so many rapes that took place and abuses and, and people getting beat up and killed and all these things. Because when you stick a large group of people together with no law, no order, awful things happen. And that's what's happening in this instance. So remember, this prostitute is a city. It's a people. It's a culture. And the city and ideals that this whore, this prostitute represent is eventually going to be stripped of its glamour. And it's going to be desolate. It's going to be naked. The beast and the 10 kings are going to devour her flesh. What that means is this. The devil not only hates God, the devil hates you because you're made in the image of God. So when Satan brings people into a life of sin, he's not like, hey, I'm gonna hook you up later, right? When we're hanging out in hell, it's gonna be awesome. When he brings us into a life of sin, it's to destroy us. The devil always promises luxury. He always promises prosperity and pleasure. But at the end of it, it is steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what the devil does to us. And so it says that this city, this culture will be burned up with fire. Not only is this an appropriate end for an evil city, it's a foreshadowing that these people are going to spend eternity in torment and what's crazy is this, God is in control of this whole thing. It is difficult to understand, but God understood that these people were evil. So he put it into their hearts, these evil kings, to carry out the words of revelation until they are fulfilled. What does that mean? Listen to me so carefully. No matter how bad it gets, God is always in control. No matter who gets elected, no matter what happens to our economy, no matter what wars break out, no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. God still knows what he's doing. It's easy to say that when we're the most prosperous nation in the world, but we're not always gonna be the most prosperous nation in the world. And so we need to remember this going forward. So the last verse reiterates the point. It says, who is the woman? The woman is the great city that has power over all people on earth. This city's culture permeates everything. Now again, what was the culture? It was pursuit of self. 
pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of what we want. Listen, since the beginning of cities, since the beginning of people gathering together and building buildings and coming together, since the beginning of nations and empires, the, the, the seduction of culture fitting in and doing what's cool, the seduction of pleasure doing things that make us feel good sexually, materially, the seduction of power of kings has always been there. But here's the thing, guys. We were never designed to follow culture. We were never designed to follow kings. I don't know if you guys know that or not. You go way back into the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. And, and in, this, in the time of Samuel, there was actually a lot of law and order for the Jewish people, for the children of Israel. They had judges, they had a great economy, they had this hierarchy of people that were in, in different uh, positions of power and there was rule and there was court systems. It was good, it was good. It was what God wanted. But the people started looking around at the godless nations around them and they saw that they had kings. And this is so big. They had men that they could look at and say, wow, this is God on earth. And the children of Israel went to their prophet and said, we want a king. And Samuel said, you already got a king. You have the king of kings. God, you don't, you don't need a king on earth. We have law, we have order, we have judges, we have economies, we're good. You, are, you already have everything you need. And they said, no, 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 we want something. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to have the attention like all these other people have the attention. We want a king. So what does Samuel do? He goes to God and he says, God, they want a king. I'm so sorry. And God says, Samuel, don't apologize. They didn't reject you. They've rejected me as their king. And God gave him a king, a guy named Saul. If you don't know the Bible very well, Saul was not a great king, not a good man. You know what's fascinating though about all the kings, even the good, the good ones? They weren't that good. Everyone says, man, David was a good king. So you commit adultery, kill a man, impregnate a woman that's not your wife, doesn't sound like a very good guy to me. So I know that he was a man after God's own heart, but even the best of men fall because men are not intended to be worshiped. They're not intended to be worshiped. So here's the thing though, guys. Mankind, that means all of us in this room. <laughs> if you're a human in this room, all of us have been tempted by the pursuit of self. Side note that I did not mention at any of the other services, but it's the 11 and we just have all day, right? <laughs> Do you know if you buy a copy of the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey, it was written in the late 1960s. If you open it up, the first quote in the Satanic Bible, which by the way, don't buy one. <laughs> if you open it up, there's a quote by a, name named, a man named Aleister Crowley. And the quote says, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. The basis of Satanism is not to worship Satan. The basis of Satanism is to worship self. <laughs> what did Satan say to Eve? He didn't say, worship me. He said, you know, if you eat that fruit, you'll be just like God. You'll be just like him. You'll be enlightened. You'll have knowledge of good and evil. You'll be just like God. He didn't say, worship me. It was a trick. And we have all been tempted by this. And Satan will use this temptation. Listen, to not only lure people into ignoring God, but we will even get to the point to where we hate the idea that God will judge us. Even Christians, 
even Christians, how dare you say that I'm gonna be held accountable for my actions? Because Jesus said it. Because it says it all throughout the New Testament that we will be held accountable. Actually, it says in Matthew, for every word and deed, if you wanna get down to it, we will be held accountable. We are responsible. Guys, I'm not just picking on you. It says that pastors will be even held more responsible. It says not many of you should become teachers and preachers because you'll be judged more harshly. God judges? Heck yes, he judges. He is the judge, the righteous judge. But Satan has tricked some of you in this room to believe that God is all about hugs and not at all about justice. But there are both sides of that. You cannot have perfect love without perfect justice. You must have both. If someone is attacking my children, I'm not a good dad. Well, hey, I love you guys. I'm not a good dad if I don't step in and defend them from evil. There is justice. There is judgment. But this spirit of antichrist has been around since the very beginning. Ever since Eve took a bite of that piece of fruit, ever since the fall of man, any one of us can easily be swayed by this temptation to pursue self. Let me switch gears. Everyone take this picture and remember it, ingrain it in your brain. I'm kind of an art geek. I like art a lot. It's, you know, we got a lot of art around the church. I love art. I love fine art. I love Renaissance art. I love all art. I love abstract this is a guy named Peter Bruegel did this painting. He was from the Netherlands, did this in the 16th century, long time ago. Now, what this painting is depicting is the Tower of Babel, or Babel if you prefer. But the Tower of Babel was the center point of the first great civilization that we read about in Genesis chapter 11, a city called Babylon. Now, it's hard to fully appreciate Revelation chapter 17 if you've never read Genesis chapter 11 where it talks about the civilization. Now, kind of the crux of this civilization comes in verse four. This is what they said. It said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Why? Because we wanna make a name for ourselves. The pursuit of self. We wanna build a city, but we want the city to give us a name. We want the city to give us honor. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking, right? That's not what cities are nowadays. We don't do that kind of stuff. That's three or 4,000 years ago that Genesis chapter 11 took place. Let me show you something interesting. I hope you guys find this interesting. This is a poster from 1951. In 1951, 28 different nations in Europe got together and they said, hey, why don't we form a union of European nations? will come together, and they started to make these kind of propaganda pieces. They had Minecraft back in 1951 in Europe too. But <laughs> they thought that they would make these propaganda pieces. And so they got together, and they started passing these out and putting them all over Europe. And it's interesting. They took Peter Bruegel's famous depiction of the Tower of Babel and the catchphrase for the European Union in 1951, about seven years before it actually formed, was Europe. Many tongues, one voice. This rebellion, taking something that was known, whether you're a believer or not, the Tower of Babel is kind of the, the, the trademark of rebellion against God. And thus the European Union was formed, I think in about 1958. So in 1999, they built the European Union Parliament 
in Strasbourg, France. <laughs> Looks oddly familiar, right? Looks a little bit like another architectural, architectural design that I've, I've seen before in Renaissance art, right? And at first, when they built it in 1999, they're like, no, we just... It does, it's, not, it's not built on anything that has existed before. It's just this interesting abstract building. It's obviously built after the Tower of Babel, and they've changed their mindset. Now they openly say, yes, we kind of structured it off the Roman Colosseums where they murdered Christians and the Tower of Babel. Not only that, let me take a little bit further. If you walk into the main entrance into the EU in Strasbourg, you see a statue of a woman riding on a beast. Now, this is supposed to be the, listen to this, this is supposed to be the human Europa riding on the back of Zeus, who Zeus is cheating on his wife, came to earth to have sex with a woman named Europa, and he came in the form of a bull. But you have this human woman who is giving herself sexually to this beast. It could all be coincidence. And Corey, are you saying that the EU is the Antichrist? No, it'd be way too obvious, right? Way too obvious. But what I'm saying is this, the spirit of rebellion to God, the spirit of pursuit of self is alive and well, alive and well. Now here's the thing, guys. We talked about cities today. Every single one of us in this room will either reside in one of two places. We will either reside in a kingdom that we build for ourselves that will inevitably fall apart or we will reside in an eternal city that we will get into in chapter 21 called the New Jerusalem heaven. We will reside in one place or the other. Now, if the book of Revelation is correct, which I believe it to be, if the book of Daniel is correct, which I believe it to be, you and I fall somewhere between the sixth global empire and the last global empire. So the decisions we make today will dictate what kind of culture we will reside in. Even if Jesus Christ's return is 500 years down the road, every decision we make builds a wall. It puts bricks into a foundation of a place where we are going to spend eternity. We are either going to spend eternity with an intoxicated prostitute or we are going to spend eternity with a pure bride, something that falls apart or something that stands for forever and forever and forever. Now, when I say that everything we do, listen, parents, every day when you neglect your children and you'd rather be on your phone or you'd rather do what you wanna do and you don't spend time with your kids, you don't pray with your children, you don't pour into them, you are laying down bricks that are building a wall. All those steps you take, they are building up a wall that is going to put a chasm between you and your family. You men in this room that don't love your wives, that don't pour into your spouse, that don't treat them like they are the center of the universe, you're building a city, but it's a city that's not going to stand. It's something that's all about you. When we fail to teach the people around us about Christ, when we fail to meet our neighbors, when we fail to get engaged in the school systems, when we fail to get engaged in the marketplace, when we isolate ourselves, we are building a city, and it's a city that's not going to stand. 
But on the flip side of that, every time, every time you take your wife out, you're also building a city. You're building a foundation. Every time you pray with your children at night, every time you teach them the hard lessons, every time you share the love of God with that person at the coffee shop, Every time you pick this book up and read it and the words that are in here start to get ingrained in your psyche and take root in your heart, you're also building up a kingdom. But it's not a kingdom for yourself, it's the kingdom of God. And it stands forever and ever and ever. The foundations will never be rocked. So every day when you leave this place, when you go back out into the real world, Everything you do is spiritual. Everything you do. And even if Christ comes back 500 years from now, if you will pour into your children, your neighbors, your loved ones, if you'll pour into your community, into your church, there will be something that will be built up that will stand for generations. Your grandchildren will be different. Your great-grandchildren will be different. But if we don't, if we build up the kingdom of self, mark my words, not my words, mark his words, it will absolutely implode on us. It'll fall apart, I guarantee you. If not now, later, eventually. Let me give you a piece of good news though. For all of you who have built up walls, who have ruined marriages or ruined relationships, those of you who have isolated yourselves or cornered yourselves because of poor decisions. Let me tell you how great God is. <laughs> if we will humble ourselves and say, God, I need your help, God can break down all those walls. He can tear them down, and by his grace, we can start to build something up that's good. We can start to build those bridges back to those relationships and those communities, and we can build back self-esteem, and we can build back confidence and we can build back a relationship not only with other people but with him by his grace, by his love, by his mercy. But we have to be humble. We have to say, God, I am utterly lost. I don't want it to be about me. If it was Corey's kingdom, it would be a terrible place to reside in. It'd be an evil place to reside in. God, I want it to be your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Let, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here, here as it is up there. And Jesus looked at his followers and he said, pray like this, pray like this, your kingdom come here as it is up there. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're new to the faith or Maybe you have questions. You're just kind of like right at the beginning of this journey. Up here to my right, your left, Dave is up here. He's got a, a, a red and blue shirt on. If you have any questions, come up here and talk to Dave. He's one of the pastors here at the church. He'll help you. He'll point you in the right direction. He'll do whatever he can to help you out. Also, up here on the right and left, there's men and women that will pray with you for anything. Man, it can be as small as a job interview, it can be as big as, as a cancer diagnosis. Whatever you need prayer for, please, please let these men and women pray for you. The last thing is this. There's communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's the bread and wine 
that represent the body and blood of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that God gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away. God can take away those walls that separate you from the people you love. God can take away those walls of depression and anxiety and fear and low self-esteem. God can break those things down. But he also has the ability to give to you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to think about this. Jesus one time looked at his followers and he said this. He said, guys, in my father's house are many rooms. In the city my father has prepared for you, there's plenty of room. And Jesus looked at them and he said, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. (laughs) There is a permanent city that we can start, go ahead and we can start building that up for ourselves so we can reside with God forever. We just have to be humble and we we, we have to ask for his help. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you so much for everyone in this room. I pray, God, that something today just resonated with someone, God. I pray, Lord, that, that something that was spoken today just, just maybe hits a nerve or causes someone to step back and maybe look at their life and, and just take a little bit of an evaluation, God. Lord, let us be humble. Let us build back good foundations, Lord, ones that'll stand forever. Let us be intentional. Let us be purposeful, God. Lord, bless everyone in this room that can hear me right now, God, and protect them until we meet again. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, God, and it's in your son's name that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.